How are you doing? It is almost Christmas time and this is a Christmas time offer for you for being a loyal listener. Join us on Patreon and you get 15% discount for the annual subscription. You're going to get first dibs on tickets for Dalky, for Kilconomics and for live podcasts. You're going to be part of our book club, which I'm launching in January. You're going to get access to my monetary economics course, the one I gave in Trinity, and you're going to get a sort of a substack backdrop of all sorts of articles that go into making these podcasts. So join us, patreon.com forward slash Dave McWilliams, between now and Christmas Day, and you get 15% discount for the annual subscription. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. So John is here in his uh, Snoop Dogg. Uh, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. It's all about the Benjamins. John, we were going to be talking about Benjamin Franklin. We are going to be talking about the Benjamins. We're going uh-huh. to be talking about yeah. we're going to talk about Bitcoin, <laughs> and we're going to talk about crypto. Oh, excellent! Just when you thought Bitcoin was dead and buried, it is back, and it is back, and it's up one hundred and sixty percent since I decided it was all over. Well, let me just let me just read you something. <laughs> oh no! From from a little while back, let me just read you this from June twenty two. This is David McWilliams in the dock. Court is now in session. David McWilliams says, crypto, crypto's gone, man. <laughs> Bitcoin is down at $27,000. It was up at $60,000. This is the slow death of a bullshit idea. And when I say a bullshit idea, it's not money. It's a speculative asset. If you buy Bitcoin, what you're buying is you are buying into an enterprise with no income, if you buy into an enterprise with no income, there is no return other than you expect the next guy to come through the door to pay you more for the token. David McWilliams, June 2022. What do you say what to do you that? Say? <laughs> Accused! Accused! Okay, we're going to talk today all about Bitcoin. Just so you know, Bitcoin in the last week or 10 days, John, is up 30%, yes. right? And a lot of people have said to me, particularly online, particularly the Bitcoin, the, the, the weekend warriors, the keyboard warriors, yeah. now explain that to me, right? Let's talk about Benjamin Franklin first. Okay. So Benjamin Franklin, he is the face of the $100 bill. 
and you heard it's all about notorious. The exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I was reading something about Benjamin Franklin last night because I am reading at the moment something fantastic and yeah. this has all got to do with maybe the misjudgment of things. I'm reading The Psychology of Human Misjudgment, which are the collected essays of Charlie Munger. Now, Charlie right. Munger yeah. is Warren, was Warren Buffett's right-hand man who died at 100 years old, himself and Kissinger, last week. Now, Charlie Munger, incredibly, incredibly brilliant writer, an amazing brain. He's quite a funny guy, wasn't he? Really funny. Great yeah. sense of humor. Really, yeah. really, really good sense of humor, right? And he is basically or was Buffett's right-hand man. And many people believe that you just don't get Buffett without Munger. They were The two of them were this brilliant combination. Everyone knows who Buffett is, yeah. the world's most successful investor. But what you have on the other side is Munger. And Munger and Buffett, amazingly, Munger worked for Buffett's granddad as a part-time worker in Buffett's granddad's shop in <laughs> Nebraska. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the two of them are Midwesterners, that's sort of quite sober Midwesterners, very, very simple way of looking at the world, yeah. but very, very complicated way of looking at the world. And last week, a brilliant little book was published by Stripe Press. Stripe Press is the publication company, the book publisher associated with the Collison brothers, the owners yes, of Stripe. Indeed, yeah. And the foreword of this was written by John Collison, oh, who's okay. been on the podcast. And it's basically the musings of Munger on psychology and mm. why we make mistakes. And it's all about thinking about the world in a more clear and concise framework. And it doesn't matter what age you are, and it doesn't matter what business you're in, and it doesn't matter what you're into, right? The idea that you cannot learn from someone like Munger is ridiculous. I mean, I'm reading this, I am devouring it. It's basically about mistakes we make, you know? Mm. Excessive self-regard tendency, simple plain avoiding psychological denial. These are the influence of mere association tendency. These are all the, the sort of does, tendencies that does, we have in behavioral economics and psychology to make mistakes, to think badly. Does it say anything about you and Bitcoin? Well, <laughs> right? Now, so I'm reading this, and but the basic idea is about Munger. I think one of his basic ideas is is humility is really crucially important thing. Like, you know, was I wrong? If I was wrong there, why was I wrong? How can I learn from being wrong, right? Yeah. And then how do you put together a framework of thinking about the world, which really allows you to understand the world differently. Now, you don't have to be an investor. You don't have to be anything. It's just to understand your world differently. Yeah. And it's, it's a really brilliant, brilliant read. But the reason I'm interested in Benjamin Franklin is that this is called Poor Charlie's Almanac, right? right? And these are the collective essays. But this is based on an almanac which was written by Benjamin Franklin called Poor Richard's Almanac, which was written every month right. for years by Franklin. And it was his observations about life. And then you think, who was Benjamin Franklin? And why, yeah. why is he on the $100 bill? And why is, you know, Biggie Smalls talking about, it's all about the Benjamins? It's because Franklin was maybe the most erudite person in the American Revolution. Mm. He was a printer by trade, but an extraordinary person. He was an inventor. He was a scientist. He was a civic leader. He was obviously a revolutionary. He was the American ambassador to Paris during the yeah, French yeah, Revolution yeah. and pre-revolutionary times. He was an extraordinary person, Benjamin Franklin. 
and again, self-taught, an autodidact, as they say, right. just self-taught about everything. And very much, I think, the Enlightenment himself and maybe Alexander Hamilton were the two most interesting, it seems to me, mm. of the American founding fathers. And you mentioned this last week about the founding fathers and how the Americans are so obsessed by them. Yes. And so they're kind of immutable. Like they wrote this in 1776. They're deified. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And in a way, you'd think that Franklin probably justifies that deification. He seemed like a really, really interesting person. But for our purposes... He sounds like a bloody genius. Yeah, he was a genius. Yeah, yeah. He was a genius. And he was also incredibly involved in the world, in Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia, incredibly involved in the civic world. He built up the University of Pennsylvania. He was, you know, he was fascinatingly also a postman. And he used his knowledge. He was knowledge. a postman. He was a postman. He was into the postal system. He was an amazing person, right? And he used his <laughs> knowledge brilliant. of posts and communications to basically steal a march on the English during the revolution. Like he knew where mm. everybody was. And he was mm. a fascinating person, right? But his almanac is these little gems of observations about the weather and the days, but also about life, right? Simple yeah. codes are living. And Munger has taken this idea of the almanac and written his own poor Charlie's almanac as opposed to poor Richard. And Richard was an invented character called Richard Saunders, who right. Benjamin Franklin invented. Right. So I okay. am now deep in this. And the reason I'm deep in this for many reasons, right? It's a very good pre-Christmas read. However, what's more interesting is how do I stand on Bitcoin? How can we come back yes. from this accusation? I still I put it to you. I put it to you, yeah. <laughs> to exactly, <Mike> Williams. <laughs> exactly. I still think that Bitcoin is nothing more than a speculative asset. Yeah. I still think that Bitcoin is nothing more than a Ponzi scheme, which is based on the next guy coming in buying your asset. But mm. that doesn't take away from the fact that if you own Bitcoin or if you punt on Bitcoin, you've seen it go up and down. It's real, yeah. right? It is real. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if you want to punt on this or on the races or on the lottery, off you go, right? Yeah. I've, no, yeah, 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 I've, yeah. No, I've no gripe against these characters. Yeah. But what I do have a gripe against is calling this money. Yeah. Because it fails to understand the fundamental essence of money, which is money always wants to expand. Explain that. Right. So the economy wants to expand. Okay. So the whole thing about Bitcoin is it can't expand. It's got like a almost a self-destruct timer in the algorithm, which means I think that you have maybe 21 million Bitcoins will be mined and that's it. Mm. So it's basically a fixed quantity. Now, that suits people who come from the hard money school of monetary economics. And the hard money school of monetary economics tends typically to be linked with the gold standard, which is why they call it digital gold. Yeah. Right. So they say Bitcoin is, in effect, digital gold. Now, there is a reason that the gold standard was abandoned, because the idea that you would operate a global financial system based on the amount of a metal that was randomly deposited by nature yeah. millions of years ago is intellectually, if nothing else, a bizarre place to start. But the hard money people... Well, it becomes a zero-sum game, isn't it? Well, it's, well, Bitcoin is a zero-sum game. That's the first thing. If somebody makes money in Bitcoin, somebody else is lost. Yes. Right? Yeah. That's yeah. the first thing. But the second thing is that money is organic. 
And by that, I mean money, the technology, the amazing technology that is money, wants to expand because it needs to finance the economy and the economy wants to expand. Yes. So the story of money, the history of money is the history of expansion, not contraction, right? The history of Bitcoin is the history of contraction, right? Because you're saying we start with one fixed amount and never ever grow, yeah. right? But it's also, it's also the fact that they're hoarding it. It's just all about the hoarding. It's all about the Benjamins and it's all about the hoarding, right? Yeah. Okay, so you think, okay, be that as it may, and we come back to the hoarding, and the hoarding is very, very important. Yeah. Because Bitcoin aficionados who hold Bitcoin will say to you, look, the price is going up. This is evidence that it is money, mm. that more and more people are adopting it. But there is, again, a, an analytical paradox at the core of Bitcoin, which is the following. As the price increases, those who support Bitcoin says, this is evidence that this is money, Right. But as the price increases, it's much less likely to be money because people hoard it. Yes. And the thing about money is you have to use it. Money's magic is in its use. Yeah. So we go back to this idea that money is like language, that the more people who use money, the more useful it is. Why? Because money animates human endeavor. Human genius is yeah. animated by this bizarre technology called money. In the same way as we've said it before, Esperanto is allegedly a much more technically, much more technically brilliant language than English. Mm. Because Esperanto is an invented language, and it's an invented language which is supposed to be very, very simple and very logically consistent. Yet nobody speaks it, or very, very few people speak it. Yeah. So its usefulness as a tool of communication is very, very limited. English, on the other hand, is this crazy language with lots of French in it, lots of German in it, lots of Spanish in it, lots of Latin influences. Why? Because it is an organic creature. So the English language grows organically. Yeah. And every culture that adopts it adds something to it, and the language incorporates that, and on we go. So it's got this beautifully expansive side to it. Now, the financial equivalent of the English language is the dollar, to come back to Benjamin. Yeah. Okay, all about the okay. Benjamins, right? Yeah, yeah. Because the dollar is the standard. So in the same way as English is the global default language for people who don't speak each other's language, the dollar is the default currency for those who don't hold dollars, which is why copper is in dollars, commodities are in dollars, sugar, agriculture, all these products, oil, everything is priced mm. in dollars because people understand it. As I've always said, the day I get into a taxi in a poor country and the taxi driver knows the exchange rate of the Argentinian peso or whatever, then I'll realize the world has shift. Or for example, the Rumimbi, right? Yes. I've never yeah, got yeah, into yeah. a taxi anywhere in the world where a fella says, I'll offer you a few marimbi for your euros there. Yeah. They'll always say dollars. And the reason they'll always say dollars is that it's the common international language, right? Which is why then you come on to the second idea of Bitcoin, that Bitcoin aficionados or supporters say, well, in time, Bitcoin is going to be the default global currency. Yeah, yeah. This I don't really get that one. total nonsense. It's total nonsense. It, it is an impossibility. Right? First, you have to believe that the dollar or the euro or sterling or the renminbi are going to disappear as currencies, right? Mm. That you have to believe that there's sort of an Argentinian moment about to occur in the dollar where it collapses in value, right? Where it completely collapses in value. Now, that's not to say that historically currencies haven't collapsed in value. They yeah. have. 
Yeah. The greatest example of that maybe is Sterling. So Sterling, we have this great expression, a Sterling performance, which means that the team did very well. And that comes from the fact that Sterling used to perform extremely well because it was the global currency mm. from about 1850 to about 1920, right? Sterling was the global currency. It was the reserve currency of the world. Most trade and international goods was done through London. It was the biggest foreign exchange system yeah, in the world. Yeah. And the Bank of England was the dominant global central bank during the gold standard. But what has happened to Sterling since the Second World War? Sterling has collapsed in value against almost everyone. When I say collapsed, it has devalued profoundly. Why? Because Britain's place in the world has changed. So... The question is, so could the dollar change? Yes, it could. Is it likely to do so in the next little while? No, it's not. Well, let's get a bit extreme. If our orange friend is elected next year or not, which might even be worse, it could spark some sort of social unrest, even a civil war in America. You know, it has been mentioned. If that happens, the dollar kind of collapses. Well, it doesn't collapse. It it doesn't collapse. In fact, the interest in the civil war is the dollar comes from the civil war in America. Okay. That's yeah, another, yeah, yeah. another point yeah, yeah, yeah. that the actual dollar, the gold-backed dollar, which was the currency instituted after the Civil War, was instituted in a way to soak up all the competing currencies that were lobbing around in the United States at yeah. the time, right? Which we spoke about, I think, in the podcast before. Go back and check it. I can't remember what... It was a long... The continental long and all the that continental kind of continental and yeah, the yeah. Dixieland and all that yeah. good stuff, right? And we might even come back to that. But, you know, you can paint a picture of the future which is apocalyptic in extreme, in which case the dollar falls. Mm. And then you say, oh, well, then maybe Bitcoin or some other crypto replaces this. But this is one of the inconsistencies with Bitcoin because one of the inconsistencies of Bitcoin is the following. They say that this is a hedge against apocalypse. Mm. And that's fine. But the interesting thing is when the apocalypse happened or anything close to it in the last few years, what actually happened is money flooded out of crypto into the dollar, right? Yeah, yeah. Because people want the security of the dollar. But that's the that's another thing. Yeah. The thing about cryptos is there are two types of cryptos. There's the Bitcoin cryptos, which are a form of crypto which has its own self-destruct button. Yeah. The reason this is a problem is it's gold, digital gold. The reason digital gold doesn't persuade me is the gold standard is over a long, long time ago. And why did the gold standard end? Because it was too inflexible to deal with the real world. Because what it did was it anchored money into this random notion of a metal. Yeah. And you can't run an international system. That's that's the first thing. Then there's another type of crypto, which would be the Sang Bankman Freed type. Was it Freed or Freud? Freed. Freed. Freed, yeah. Crypto. And that basically is a little fellow on his own with a printing press and a good marketing department. Yeah. You know what I mean? And this is like, it's like counterfeiting for the TikTok age, okay? And the reason the TikTok age is interesting is that money wants to expand, but money's also a social phenomenon. It's a cultural phenomenon. And what you see is in a world of TikTok and in the world of Reddit and in the world of Twitter, people begin to identify with crypto as a form of rebellion against the establishment. Yes. I'm going to stick it to the man, right? Yeah. So what you then is you've got these crypto warriors who see themselves as in the vanguard of a Franklin-esque revolution against the establishment, right? Yeah. This is why they get so pissed off when somebody says, oh, the price is falling, figure that out, right? Because it. remember we talked about crowds the other day? Yes. And we talked about 
a crowd needs a persecution complex, right? It needs to feel that it's persecuted. So a lot of the crypto bros feel persecuted. The fact that they're mainly white and probably quite middle class is bizarre because they're not really that persecuted. But the idea is that they feel that they have had some sort of revelation. It's almost like St. Peter, right? And that revelation came to them in the desert. Was it St. Peter was in the desert? No, it was Jesus in the desert. Jesus, all right. So the burning bush, right? Okay, so it's Jesus, right? I'm getting my metaphors wrong. Okay, so Jesus is sitting in the desert 40 days and 40 nights and he sees a bush burning. He says, hold on a sec. No, 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 no. That was was that that Moses. That was Moses. (laughs) All right, so Moses is in the desert, right? We start again. Okay, let's just start with burning man, maybe. Okay, Moses is in the desert. He hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. He's delusional, Okay. And he sees a burning bush yeah. and he has a revelation yeah. and away we go, right? <laughs> there is a sort of a similar thought process going on inside the Bitcoiner's head that they've had this revelation. And the revelation is the world is run by a conspiracy against the common man. And that conspiracy against the common man is most evident in the currency that has been issued by this slightly opaque Wall Street big banks Big companies conspiracy. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah, yeah. Bitcoin is going to solve all this because it's pure and it's scientific and it's unencumbered by any sort of biases and all that sort of carry on. So it's a revelationary moment, right? Yeah. So therefore, those of us who haven't had that revelationary moment, right, are regarded as slightly stupid and idiotic yeah. and you just don't get it. Like born agains. They are born again Christians. Yeah. This is the financial, the financial equivalent of a come to Jesus moment. Yeah. And therefore, because of the persecution complex, they tend to kick out all the time. Like the amount of times I have had things written to me in bold capitals. You don't understand this. Do yeah. your research, right? Yeah, yeah. Do your research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. do your research. Oh, and it's always somebody anonymous. Oh, yeah. And that's the bit that actually drives me nuts. With their little Bitcoin eyes. Yeah. Go on, tell us back. who you are. Go let's, on, tell us who yeah, you are. They, yeah, tell us who you are, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so, so let's come back. But that doesn't take away from the fact that somebody's buying it, right? Sure, sure, Somebody sure. is buying it and somebody's persuaded. So you think, okay, why now? The big why now in the last three or four weeks is the fact that up until Friday last, when the United States economy delivered nearly 200,000 jobs in November alone, Mm. there was a perception that the United States economy is slowing gradually, but more importantly, inflation has largely been wrung out of the system. And as a result of that, the US are going to cut interest rates. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing is the bond market has anticipated this and there's been a dramatic fall in bond yields. Now, why would this impact on crypto or on, for example, Bitcoin is because Bitcoin offers no income. Mm. So it's entirely priced at the cost of capital. And if the cost of capital is falling, the price of Bitcoin can go up. So that's the first way, right? Then the second idea is, so it's been bought by retail investors, hunters, right? And that may well be the case. Then the second thing is, do you think, well, is it being bought by big banks? Is it being bought by big asset managers? Is it being bought by people who, for example, deploy money on behalf of people for their pensions. Mm. Now, it doesn't seem to me that this is the case. In fact, anytime I've heard people in the, you know, to use that word, in the mainstream of finance, they're very, very sniffy about Bitcoin. Mm. And then you think, well, could it be central banks buying it? 
going to be actual institutions buying Bitcoin because they think, well, maybe, you know, the US isn't as stable as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it could be. But again, I don't see much evidence of that. So I think what must be happening is there is a tightness in the market. There's not a lot of supply out there because as it keeps going up, people hoard. So the supply gets less and people are having a punt on it, which is fine. So I suppose the question is, who's buying it? Well, not just who's buying it, but what are they actually buying? Okay, well, let's we come back after the break. Indeed. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, Max, so let's let's go back on this a little bit. So Bitcoin has... Our crypto, but let's let's talk about Bitcoin. Okay, so that, that that's shot up in value by 160% yeah. over the last year. Yeah. So there's clearly, there's, there's a demand, demand there. yeah, yeah. and people are buying it. I'm wondering, who are these people who are buying it? Like, are, is there an, an increasing number of people buying it and getting into the crypto market? And what actually are they buying at the end of the day? Okay, well, I think it's an ugly competition. So, right. Okay. So, so if you imagine crypto to be, who's the least ugly? Okay. <laughs> right. This, you and I should go into this competition, right? At least, <laughs> so it's not a beauty competition. It's the opposite. Like a beauty competition, who's the most beautiful? Who's the least ugly, right? right. So in the last 12 months, you have FTX collapsed. Yeah. Your man's going to prison. Yeah. Right? Binance, the other big crypto exchange, CZ, or CZ as he's called, the boss there. Yeah. He has fessed up to the federales in America and said, yes, I was actually... That's right. Yeah, yes, right. I saw that. Yeah, so yeah. so they, they are now very ugly. Mm. So if you're obsessed by crypto, in the ugly space, two of the most previously beautiful creatures are now very ugly. Right. right? So the least ugly could well be Bitcoin. It's the oldest, it's the most widely held, and it has been less affected by these scandals. Why? because it has an algorithmic nature to it. Okay. So in the least ugly competition, Bitcoin has emerged at the least ugly. Doesn't mean the most beautiful, but the least ugly. Right, okay. That's the first thing. But the second thing, what are you buying? I take issue with the idea of crypto assets, because an asset implies you have a future 
lean or charge on a real business or a going concern. So if, for example, you buy stock of a company, right? Mm. What it means is you own a little bit of a real thing. Yes. That real thing is the company. Yeah. And the value of that stock will be reflective of, or will reflect the profit margins of that company. Yeah. So what you're buying is you're actually buying a future charge on some real thing. Bitcoin, you're not. There's nothing there, right? Then if you buy, for example, a bond, what you're actually buying again is a charge on a real thing. If you, for example, buy an Irish government bond, it means that what you're buying is the underlying tax base of the country. Yeah. And it's predicated on how the country is managed, but ultimately there is a stream of income. And even in extremist, in extreme situations, what you find is that funds that actually buy the distressed assets of very, very distressed countries can actually go after them. So for example, there are American funds who have impounded planes of Nicaragua, impounded merchant navy ships of Argentina to get their money back, mm, right? Yes, so yeah. So, yeah. I mean, this is in, in the extreme. But what I'm saying is you're buying a going concern and there is some part of that going concern that you own, right? And you're hoping that your capital is deployed in the case of a, a share to actually do something positive mm. for the company. So... That's what an asset is. That's what, that's how we understand an asset to be. Bitcoin is nothing. There's absolutely nothing there. Yes. All you're buying is capital gain. And therefore, you're into the psychology of crowds, which is why I've been reading the psychology of human misjudgment, right? <laughs> yes. And the psychology of crowds is what we spoke about the other day, that the crowd wants to expand. Remember we talked about that? Yeah. The crowd needs direction. Yeah. The crowd needs leadership. And in the crowd, and this is the crucial thing, you lose your individual essence of yourself and you subsume yourself to this greater idea. And in the case of Bitcoin, a lot of the idea is sticking it to the man, Mm. right? That we're a part of this revolutionary movement and that there are some great efficiencies that we need to iron out. Now, what we actually know, I'll tell you what I did this morning, John, is I went on a site to see where could I spend Bitcoin in Ireland, right? Right. So let me just have a look at this. So, because I'm interested, because I can't understand how a token that you still can't buy a pint with is going to become the world's reserve currency. That yeah. just, I don't get this. So what I went on to was the, the Bitcoin, the BTC map, it's called btcmap.org. And that shows you all the places that yeah. you can buy and sell things with Bitcoin, real places. So we go into this, John, it's and I'm looking at drugs and guns, is it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. My piece <laughs> and my line's a banger. And that's the height of it. Okay. So look at this. Look at this. Look at this. So you go on this yoke here, right? There's eight places in North Dublin. Right. Four places in the city. And a couple of B&Bs. There's a B&B up here. No, that's not a B&B. There's, oh, there's a B&B in, in Tullamore called Boglands, the Rustic Hideaway. Nice. Yeah, there is... A place, athletic therapy in Main Street, Hoth. I don't know what that is. Right. Uh, we both need it, clearly, athletic <laughs> therapy. And I'm looking down, and basically, you can buy fuck all with Bitcoin in yeah. this country, right? Now, maybe we're behind, but go on to the website, btcmap.org, and you will find where you can buy stuff with Bitcoins. And what you find is there's very, very few places in the world. Yeah. And almost no, nowhere in Ireland, right? So what are you buying? You're buying a promise. And the promise is based on the greater fool theory that you're going to buy this stuff 
and somebody's going to come in and buy this stuff off you at a higher price. And as long as those people are coming in at the bottom, you can get out at the top. There's no other logic to it, yeah. as far as I can see. Now, unless I'm missing something huge, which is that the world is about to involve itself in an apocalyptic third world war type conflict, even if that's the case, mm. even if that's the case, it's highly unlikely that something that's similar to gold will emerge as the standard. Why? Because I come back, the world is too complicated for the gold standard. It's too complicated. It needs financing. The economy is too voracious in its demand for money, Yeah, for money to be fixed to some notional idea. So when you take the whole thing together, the first thing to say is, am I completely wrong on its price? Absolutely. Should you have a punt on Bitcoin if you want? Go for it, whatever. But the idea that this is money is only propagated by people who have a profound misunderstanding of what money is. The key thing to understand about money is its value is not in its scarcity, but in its abundance. And this is an intellectually difficult thing to get your head around because we are told to think that things that are valuable are scarce. Things that are valuable are scarce if they are not part of a network. Money is part of a network. It's basically network economics, which is very, yeah. very different to other types of economics. The greater the network, the more people... The best way to think about money right now is think of social media. But money is like social media. What gives TikTok its value, or Twitter, and I know you've been very upset about Twitter of late, about <laughs> X, right? I'm off Twitter. What gives it its value are the number of people who use it. A social media platform that nobody uses has no value. Yeah. A money that yeah. nobody uses has no value. A money, similarly, that has no users has absolutely no value. And a speculative asset that has no income, none at all. Yeah. And it's professed, it's not even saying we're going to give you something in the future, is predicated on a set of scenarios that appear to me to be totally and utterly with outside the realm of normal human behavior. Well, I could be wrong, which is why I'm reading The Psychology of Human Misjudgment. <laughs> but wait till I finish the book and I'll come back and tell you. So that's our take on Bitcoin. I stand accused, John. You stand accused. Stand accused, the, the, guilty as charged. The jury is out now. <laughs> <laughs> wait for them to come back. We'll talk to you next week.